0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of Coalescence uh, Publishing's podcast. Here uh, I am Wyatt Sutherland and my co-host is Casey Long. Hello, Hello, everyone. Hello, Casey.
1: Hello, everyone. I hope you all are having a good morning, good afternoon, good night, or good evening, wherever it is that you're listening from.
0: Indeed. So... Um, Just to get right on into it, today we are continuing our genre talks playlist. And today we're going to start talking about our favorite genres. And we'll we'll cover um, if we uh, end up having the time and, uh, you know, how sometimes these discussions go where we'll go off on a tangent and um, so on. But uh, today we are going to be talking about our favorite genres to read. Uh, to watch and then finally to write, and I think uh, our audience will be surprised to find some of the uh the differences between those
1: absolutely. So Wyatt shall I kick us off on this glorious conversation? Yeah, go ahead, wonderful. so on last week's episode. We talked a lot about what genre was. We talked about how genre is used for distinguishment, how it can help with the natural development of literature. And we also talked about how genres are similar and how they differ with other types of genre. How they're subgenres, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um we also talked about how it's more useful for writers or readers, and turns out it's Almost equally useful for both, just in different manners. But this week, we're going to talk about our favorite genres. And probably starting off this wonderful conversation, Wyatt, I I can't pick a single favorite genre to read. Um, My favorite genres to read surprisingly is not um horror but instead it's a mix between two other genres sword and planet and dying earth um sword and planet genre is probably one of my favorite well i say probably that's the southern lingo coming out guys um Sword and Planet genre is essentially where, it's a sci-fi, it's a subgenre of sci-fi, but it takes place on other planets, and it typically features humans as the protagonist, or even the antagonist, but the setting does not have a lot of advanced technology, um, Oh, no, 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 no. I got that completely wrong. I'm... Why, it is a Sunday. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, the set typically does have a lot of advanced technology, but the weaponry that they use is very basic. Swords, that's where it got its name from, sword and planet. Uh, One of the best examples I can give you of this genre is He-Man. He-Man is probably one of the better examples I can give you for this, because... While yes, they are going through the you know this intergalactic journey, you know, traveling through space, but the weaponry that they use is very archaic compared to the other settings that they're in, and because of that, it creates this amazing tale that just encapsulates you. Um, right. One of my favorite works, honestly, was done by um, this awesome author named Roger Sherman Hoare, or um, also known as uh, Ralph Milne Farley. He did the radio series. Well, the Venus series. I call it the radio series because it has radio in all of his works. But the first one was called The Radio Man also known as an Earthman on Venus. Um, It's basically about this guy who's an engineer who disappears while doing an experiment in his own home, and he finds himself on Venus, where he's captured by this race of, like, bug-like creatures. So on venus he also discovers another race called the uh, cupians and they are very um they're very subservient subservient sub- subservient to these like bug-like creatures that's going all over venus and they're very human-like in nature and it's just a really interesting tell if any of you all want to get a literature taste of sword and planet I would highly, highly recommend you check out the Radio Man. Probably one of the best works in sci-fi history, but that's just me saying that. Uh, what about you, Wyatt? Have, have you ever read any Sword and Planet stuff? Um, well, <clears throat> I, I did grow up
0: watching uh, the Masters of the Universe and He-Man and stuff like that, and I was always intrigued um, by Sword and Planet visually. uh. uh a lot of the animation techniques that were used to portray sword and planet were uh, interesting. Like the way they, they made the technology look uh, versus the characters and, and that technology has like this 3d gritty grimy sort of appearance. Whereas the, the, the characters were standard 2d animation. Um, and I always thought it was interesting. I, I thought the worlds of sword and planet are interesting and You know, one example I've uh, been thinking about this um, since you uh, since you said sword and planet and started describing it uh, isn't wouldn't you say Star Wars is sort of a
1: sword and planet uh, work? I think part of Star Wars is absolutely. I don't think all of it is in a sense, but definitely you definitely see sword and planet When you look at like the Jedis and the Sith with their lightsabers, that that's essentially quote unquote sword (laughs) and planet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I I would consider Star Wars part of it. Yeah.
0: And and so definitely, I think one of my favorite aspects of sword and planet um, is the, the, it's not science fiction or hard sci-fi as much as it is, uh, science fantasy like one of one of the thing, one of the interesting things that sort and planet writers usually do um is they ignore all sense of like physics and science and chemistry and stuff like that um, you know when you're talking about radio man um or even if you go earlier to the almost the father of Sword and planet uh i can't remember his name but um he wrote the the, the mars uh, series, the Marsh, uh, princess of Mars. Um, I can't remember some of the other books, but, um, they always sort of ignore the fact that these are hostile worlds to hu- like, like they don't, they don't worry about breathing technology or anything like that. It's just the human goes there and, uh, it's just adventure from there on out. It is, it's adventure. It is swashbuckling. It is uh, like sword fights, um, very, very um, just high adventure, high heroism. Um, And that's one of my favorite aspects is that they don't really uh, they're not hung up. Sword and Planet as a genre isn't really hung up on the science aspect as much as it is the fantasy of seeing another world and seeing alien species and interacting with alien politics and whatnot
1: absolutely and since we're on that topic i I think this is a good transition point to tongue tied to transition transition oh my god i need to get some coffee guys um (laughs) but this is a good point to transition thank god to this other genre that i really like called dying earth also known as dying planet um it's also a subgenre of science fiction or science fantasy depending on what you want to call it but basically it talks about the end of life on a planet or on earth if you want to be technical about the name but it's very pre-apocalyptic and i i just love it because a lot of what you see in dying planet you know works is a lot of what we're seeing in today's society and it's sad um there's a work i wanted to talk about with this one in particular it's called power grid by this awesome author named steve carr if you've never heard of him i would really recommend checking him out um From what I've read, he's a really talented author when it comes to science fiction-related works. Uh, Steve Carr, if you're listening, by all means, if you want to come on here and talk, you are more than welcome to. But he, he wrote this short story called The Power Grid. It's in an anthology of Dying Planet short stories that I got. And it talks about the most mundane of things that you can hear about in dying planet stuff but he touches on such an important basis the short story starts out with the narrator the narrator talking about how the tomato plants are starting to wilt and how there's undersized cucumbers scrawny carrots in the garden and there's this white sky up above and that immediately sets the scene of what our planet is going to look like if we do not straighten things up and it's a very short story but the basis of it is very important because it talks about starvation we are already seeing what a dying planet looks like in this short story crops are not growing The sky does not look the same. There's even, you know, grass is dying. Bees. Yeah, everything is dying. Oh, the bees. Yeah,
0: have you not heard about that? That's a big deal in climate change talk, is uh, honeybees are are big pollinators, and honeybees are going extinct, which means that plants are not going to have... as much pollination.
1: Well, I I definitely have heard of the bees a few years back. The the thing is, um, back in two thousand nineteen, there was a survey by um, some partnership. I think it was the Bee Informed Partnership that kind of measures like honeybee populations and stuff in the, in the United States, and they they were on a decline until two thousand nineteen, but after that they started coming back um new bee population is surprisingly increasing across the nation Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with not only the bees getting accustomed to human society with modern technology um because you know bees are very sensitive to certain wavelengths since that's how they communicate with their hive but something else that's really driving the new colonies that we're starting to see is people are more conscious over how honeybees are helping us there's new diets that are incorporating honey and there's a lot of more public eye to the bee crisis that used to be there uh, mm-hmm. and i say used to it's still there but nowhere near as prevalent as it was but there's a lot of people that's beekeeping now my neighbor right next door has an apiary that he uses and he uses it and every now and then he'll go and collect the honey from it and use it for his toast in the morning and that's it and some of the bees have actually migrated to a nearby oak tree and they're starting to hive there as well Mm -hmm. so you know that's a little feel-good story with it Mm mm-hmm yeah my parents are are
0: beekeepers um so i, I know uh, i know a little bit about what goes into it and stuff like that and uh you know it 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 is interesting because you know from a from a real world's from a real world standpoint um you know we're seeing these things sort of happen and change around us uh but from a fictional standpoint uh when we read things like post-apocalyptic literature, which I know Dying Earth is not post-apocalypse, uh, but, um, when we read stuff like Dying Planet and post-apocalyptic literature and sort of other sci-fi genres that touch on, um, changing environments and human fragility to hostile worlds and stuff like that, I feel like that does kind of bring with it, um, an awareness. Uh, And when people read this fiction, yeah, it's fiction. And yeah, you can just go into just for escapism or just to read about something interesting. Um, But a lot of the times fiction kind of does inform us about our our feelings, like our our emotional intuitions about things. Um, So this is a this is a question I have how exactly is dying earth different from your average
1: post-apocalypse story like the hunger games or fallout (laughs) well would you really consider consider the hunger games post-apocalyptic or post dystopia well i i think
0: it's a post-apocalypse mixed with a dystopia Um, Okay, because it is, it, it, the setting is set after a, a kind of war, nuclear Ah. war, sort of world war, world war three sort of situation. And that's how Pan Am kind of became the way it was for all those who don't know, Pan Am is the name of the, the world setting for the hunger games. Um, and then they set up this kind of dystopian government. Uh, but yeah, I would consider
1: it a post apocalypse or a form of it. I gotcha. I've, you know, it's been a very long time since I've read anything from the Hunger Games. And yeah. So thanks for clarifying that. But to answer your question, I think Dying Earth is different than post apocalypticism because in Dying Earth, you have this excellent theme of world weariness going on. And what I mean by that is there's this sadness about the world. You know, everyone's on edge. Everyone knows their Earth or their planet is on the verge of collapse. It is, it is about people coming to terms with the inevitable. There's also a lot of um, exhaustion that goes on. You know, tying in with the world weariness. But I think the biggest thing that separates dying Earth from post-apocalypticism is the setting. In the post-apocalyptic genre, we don't have to worry about something big wiping out all life because that's already happened. In dying Earth, we do. And in dying Earth slash dying planet... A lot of what we see there again going back to what i said earlier not not to be political or anything like that but we are seeing a lot of that today with the exhaustion of our resources depleting them um, famine look at COVID 19 i know that's a sensitive subject for you all still is for me as well but Covid 19 the entire pandemic that we went through is something you would see in a dying planet based genre um but that that's essentially what i would consider the big difference is is the setting yeah. the themes so on and so forth so there's it's
0: it's a lot more
1: contemplative
0: is what i'm hearing like, absolutely post apocalypse post apocalypse is all about you know, it can be like kind of all about the characters and the society and us rebuilding from a collapse and stuff like that. Um, and all the drama unfolding with that process. Um, you know, you got Mad Max where everything you, you know, it's, they're sort of rebuilding society, but they're building it back in like this barbaric, horrible road warrior way. Um, uh, and so, But Dying Earth sounds like it's a lot more contemplative um, as and and like the process is slow and ongoing and um, people. It's it's almost kind of and I know you're going to love it when I say this, but it's kind of Lovecraftian in a way, (laughs) Um, because because the forces that characters face in a dying Earth genre story are forces that are beyond them, beyond our control. It's not something that we can react to or rebuild from or anything like that. It's literally um, total irrevocable collapse. And the, the point of the, the drama from the characters, just like in a Lovecraft story, um, the drama for the characters is not um, uh, from society but from the environment itself and from this kind of uncontrollable incomprehensible force
1: precisely precisely um and one more thing i want to touch on with that is dying planet and dying earth it has a lot of feeble hope themes to it as well you know it's in our nature and humanity sometimes to wish for the best of a situation and a lot of the themes you see is well maybe the climate is just changing naturally or maybe we'll find a cure to this disease that's wiping all life out but we the readers we know that's not going to happen But, you know, it's a very somber theme, but it's something that I think, as a society that's starting to see these issues, that's a genre we really, really need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, But enough about dying Earth and all that depressive stuff. What's your favorite (laughs) genres to read, Wyatt? Um,
0: Well, my favorite genres to read. Now, uh... I love reading fantasy. let's just get that out of the way. Um, fantasy is my go-to. I, I am always on board for putting a fantasy audiobook in for for any reason whatsoever. Um, uh, I, I really love I love high fantasy all, kind of all fantasy. One of the one of the fantasy genres that I love is similar to Sword and Planet, and that's sword and sorcery. And uh, one of the things that I love about sword and sorcery is like what I was talking about with Sword and Planet. It's like this center, this uh, this center on adventure, not some grand world ending plot or anything like that. Like the father of Sword and Planet or uh, Sword and Sorcery, excuse me is a uh, Robert E. Howard, and uh, he wrote the Conan and uh, stories The he built the Hyborian age world. Um, and it's very it's a very political world. There's a lot of um, changing political lands, the empires building uh, and and uh, systems to interact with, whether it's the Sumerian tribes of the north or the very almost like Atlantean sort of uh, very de- uh, decadent people of Aquilonia. Um, all of these people uh, and Conan just kind of travels the world doing whatever he wants to do. And the stories don't center even on a through line for Conan as a character. They really only focus on an adventure and Conan is the main character of it. And I think that's one of my favorite things about sword and sorcery is is that it's unfettered by this long um, burgeoning plot that a lot of more epic fantasy or high fantasy is defined by. Um, So, yeah, I love reading fantasy. Uh, I will say I'm not a huge fan of. Modern fantasy literature, um, or I, honestly, it would be more apt to call it postmodern uh, fantasy literature. So um, I like I like George R. R. Martin and I like Game of Thrones um, for what it is.
1: Which do you think is better, Wyatt? Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings? I
0: love I, I have to say Lord of the Rings, hands down
1: absolutely yeah Yeah.
0: and um and and there's a lot more to that than just um you know the whimsy or you know the heroism of lord of the rings that you know i like game of thrones themes i love the idea of exploring fantasy and kind of deconstructing fantasy um, by by not having heroes you don't have heroes uh, in Game of Thrones, nobody, nobody kind of wins, uh, especially not the people. Um, and it's just all this this petty game of nobles. And he he took a razor blade, George R.R. R. Martin, to the, the fantasy genre and, and cut away everything that that he felt like was. Um, unrealistic in his in his view and everything like that. Um, and so I like the theming. I like what he was trying to do. But just reading it, reading it is very uh, difficult for me. I don't know if that's just his writing style or just like I can't get connected to these characters as well as I could to Aragorn in the fellowship. Um, and I think one of the reasons why that is for me is because you know, there's so like if you token is just incredible with world building, that's just well established, we don't even need to talk about it. Um, but one of the one of my favorite things is that the main characters of Lord of the Rings, not even talking about The Hobbit or any of his other works, um, are so interconnected to the world and interconnected to each other. And it's so good to see genuine friendships. You know what I mean? Like in a book you have moments where Legolas and Gimli are just at each other's throats. And then you at by the end of the story, they, they are so best. They are the best of friends and they are so close that Legolas stays in middle earth. Um, just because just until Gimli dies that, and he doesn't leave until then uh, uh, into the West and that, that sort of character interaction,
1: beautiful friendships. Can I Um, correct you on something really quick? Go ahead. Yeah. So Legolas did not stay um, with Gimli until Gimli died. Legolas stayed for the coronation of aragorn and arwen and then after aragorn died legolas went to athelian made a ship and then went over the sea um just wanted to just clarify that that way we don't uh, have reading Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) well I, i read the appendices once it was a long time ago i was in high school um and I seem to remember him starting like a small elven kingdom in Athelion, and and sticking around. And Gimli made it, but at any rate, um, yeah. The the best thing about uh, epic fantasy is the hope, um, and the heroism. And I sometimes I feel like modern fantasy just is so um kind of obsessed with being clever and having plot twists and being edgy um that we lose a little bit of that that epic relationships not just like epic plots but epic relationships between these characters that are so that are truly heroic
1: um I think that, you know, the, the twist and stuff that we see with modern fantasy is good, don't get me wrong, but I see a lot of people trying to recreate George R.R. R. Martin or Tolkien. Um, that's what I see a lot of people trying to do. And just speaking on, you know, using just Tolkien here as my pure reference... Tolkien created Middle-earth. And the stories he created... Was made... For people to create their own stories out of. And that in itself is fine. But... When you're trying to recreate... The same type of evil antagonist. The same type of fellowship of people that goes out there. Or the classic... knight in shining armor who... Wants to marry the princess, but the princess secretly wants to kill him. You know, stuff we see in Game of Thrones. That stuff, I think, is starting to become a little bit overused. And with George R.R. Martin's words, he definitely changed fantasy with what he wrote. And he made it a lot more grittier, which I commend him for that. However that's something we're always going to see with authors is they always try to recreate something that was famous because in doing so they think it will make them famous right and if there's like yeah go ahead sorry if that's the case then you know I I am an advocate here at coalescence publishing why you know I always say in our meetings you write what you want to write as long as your heart is in it you do what you want but if the only reason you're writing your stuff is cuz you want to copy and paste something because you think it's going to make you money do not do that please writing is an art style guys you know you you all have an infinitude of resources in your brilliant minds to use create something redefine that genre that you want to write in and that is the thing that will get you prevalency.
0: Yeah, and and I think it, all art kind of goes through this um, cycle where a new new idea is created and then it's it's recreated. It, it's kind of. Um, Uh, repeated over and over a style, a certain style or a certain aesthetic is recreated over and over again. And then, um, then you have deconstruction, which is kind of where George RR Martin fell in to the, to the high, the epic fantasy genre um, where the, that style or that motif is deconstructed kind of viewed from a different angle. Um, And then, a new idea is created out of that new angle. And that's how kind of there's a cycle of art that goes on and on. And it continues to do this. Um, You can see it with visual art. You can see it with literature. You can see it with um, music. And um, I think one of the things that is uh, happening right now is that I I don't think people are writing with their themes in mind. And, uh, one of the, I'll give an example of that. There's a lot of focus on mechanics these days. Um, and by mechanics, I mean, um, very, spe- very, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, very specific style of world building, um, that you can see with, uh, with authors like Brandon Sanderson, um, where, you have a magic system or you have a political system like in Game of Thrones and and that um, that system, whatever it is, whether it's magic or politics or uh, what have you, technology is world built and extrapolated to this extreme degree to where sort of if you when you read a Brandon Sanderson book and and, and I I'm, I don't want to alienate anybody who likes Brandon Sanderson. If you like Brandon Sanderson, um, you like what you like, and I'm not shaming anybody for that whatsoever. Um, for me, when I tried to read, I tried to read the uh, Stormlight Archives, um, and it was a little interesting at first. But one of the things that I started to notice is that. Sanderson is obsessed with making you understand his magic systems. He builds these elaborate, very hard, very technically proficient magic systems. Um, And that's basically the whole premise of the book. The, the whole premise of his worlds is these magic systems that he builds. And the whole premise of the stories and the plots is to get you to understand how these magic systems can solve problems. And I'm um, like, that could be fun in a video game <laughs> uh, where it's very interactive, where you're dealing with an interactive medium. But in a book, you're using your imagination. Um, you're you're very much in a book, you're very much operating off of emotional connection to the words on the page. What are the words on the page making you feel? Um, and for me, it was very difficult to feel anything learning about Brandon Sanderson's magic systems. Um, and leading from that into my main point, when you, when people are writing fantasy, uh, you mentioned people are kind of copying either Tolkien or, or Martin. And I think people do that a lot, you know, like people try to copy Tolkien's elves or people try to copy Martin's grittiness. Um, When people do that, they're copying a style and a motif. But one of the best things that you can do when you're writing fiction and, and if you're writing a fictional world or a fantasy world is that uh, you start with your themes, and world build around your themes. Um, And in that way, Martin and Tolkien did the same thing. Martin didn't necessarily change the genre. He just did what Tolkien did with a different idea. And Tolkien's theme was all about nature. Tolkien's and Tolkien, everything, the middle, the entire opus of uh, Middle Earth was all about Encouraging human beings to value peace, to value home, um, and to value like to value the natural world, um, to put what is green above the, the, you know, the fires of industry and, um, everything that Saruman and Sauron stand for. Well, Martin did the same thing. He world built, um, everything about Westeros and Essos around the theme of power is dangerous when given to the wrong people and power is corruptive. When you have it, you are over some many people will be overwhelmingly tended to use it in the wrong way. Um, and he world built his world around that theme. So when people go to write fantasy um, and they're creating an original world and, and so on and so forth. One of the worst things they can do is get hung up on a style or a motif or a system, some sort of mechanic. Um, one of the best things you can do to make a unique and compelling fantasy fiction world is find the theme that you want to write about
1: absolutely Wyatt, and world built around it i absolutely agree with you um one thing we're, we're running a little close on time here but one thing i want to add on to that is um you know if you're a fantasy author out there don't don't get offended um if if you do fall under the scope if you are trying to copy Tolkien's work or you know Copy what have you Or if you think you are There is a difference between copying And taking inspiration from And if you take inspiration From how Tolkien world builds Or how George RR R. Martin does it Make it your own That is perfectly okay You know It's just Be yourself With your writing You all are geniuses I know you guys are so um why I think on our next episode we'll talk more about our favorite genres to watch and then write I really can't wait to get into that one here's a little hint Lovecraft just throwing that out there <laughs> um but yeah thanks for tuning in everyone I hope you all have a good evening a good morning a good work day whatever it is that you're doing um we have a Twitter page you can follow us on for more updates. We will be throwing up a Discord server soon if you want to come hang out with us on a daily basis. Just check in. We got a Facebook, Instagram, all that fun social media stuff. We're, we're hip. But until <laughs> yeah, next. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Oh, don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, seriously, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Keep reading, keep writing, whatever it is that makes you happy, and we'll see you next time.